0: Go ahead and bow in prayer for the opening of the word. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this great opportunity to come and and learn from you. And Lord, we ask you to let your spirit fall greatly upon this place as we have this lesson today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, today's message in Timothy is one that I have been actually thinking about for at least four weeks in our day and age is very controversial so i hope that we really listen because i'm going to try to take some of the controversy out but by the same token paul talks about things <laughs> that are not popular in our day <laughs> okay we've and we'll hear people this is one of these verses of people uh, sections of verses where people go well you christians just haven't evolved with the rest of us you haven't grown up you're still living in the past so we just want to talk about this because it is controversial and i want to lay some foundation before we even read this. The context of the book so far has been on worship. Okay. As we get to this section, he is still talking about worship. Okay. So as we get into these things, be careful that we don't get too judgmental of what Paul's saying and saying, that's old fashioned. All right. Um, because so far, we've talked about worship, the teaching of sound doctrine, to live by the gospel, Jesus is the king immortal, that we should all pray, uh, to live peacefully, Jesus was the ransom for sin, we are to pray. And now he's going to get up and he's going to talk to women. <laughs> all right. So I just want to kind of soften this uh, as we go into this. Um, So let's look at 1 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. In like manner also that women adorn themselves with modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls and costly array, but which becomes women professing godliness with good works. Let the woman learn in silence and all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over men, but to live in silence for Adam was first formed then Eve and Adam was not deceived but the woman being deceived was was in the transgression notwithstanding she shall be saved in childbearing bearing if they continue in the faith and charity and holiness with sobriety So the first thing I want to bring out is remember the word of God is always true <laughs> Whether we agree with it whether we think it's good or not it's always true and You know, this isn't the only place where I bring this up because there's all kinds of places where the Bible is true. In our day, we have the battle between evolution and creationism. And there are many churches that are willing to throw away the first part of the Bible because science has said that evolution is true. So they'll just throw away the Bible and say, well, it must be fairy tale and not valid. And as I've said over and over, if the Bible isn't true 100%, it's a worthless book to put our life in. And, you know, so it comes to these things where we get to and go, God, what is it you're trying to show me? And, and God, I don't understand it. And those are times when we just say, God, I'm having trouble with this. I know it's true. Help me to understand it. So we're going to try to leave, help you with some of this. But part of this is also he's talking about liberty. Okay. Uh, And again, I'm saying he's talking about worship. And over and over again, Paul has brought up the idea of we have liberty in Christ To do just about anything other than what the Bible very clearly says, don't do. But he says, don't use your liberty to be an offense to other people. And I think this is a big part of what Paul is talking about here when he's talking about the adornment and all of this that he's talking about. Why do we come for worship? I hope that it's not to go find a mate. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Uh, well, you really off about it because we have mostly an older church, but you know, I know many people that go to church because they want to find a good Christian husband or a good Christian wife. And, you know, I would rather that you go to church and find a good, <laughs> good one, but don't go to the worship service without being in your mind. And now, this is a big part of what Paul's, Paul's saying. Don't go to worship to draw attention to yourself. All right? Um, and this is what he's saying. He goes in like manner, which means in continuation of what we've been teaching. Okay. And that's why I said the focus that he's looking at is the worship of God in the corporate setting, the, the body of Christ. He goes that he would want women to be adorned themselves with modest apparel. Now modest here literally means just that apparel that's not attracting, you know, attention to yourself. And in our day and age, that's a pretty big deal, okay? We've got people who walk around, you know, men and females, (laughs) practically with nothing on half the time, and then they come to church dressed the same way. And I don't know what it is they're advertising about themselves or not, that's between them and God. But God says, be modest. When my daughter was growing up, she would oftentimes come to me or take me shopping with her or show me, and goes, what do you think of this? And usually, she made good choices. On a rare occasion, I'm going, no, that is not something you want to be wearing. And on some occasions, I'm going, well, that pushes the line just a little bit. You're right on the edge of the line. But she took serious being dressed modestly. And you know, the argument that people will go, and you'll hear it all the time, especially from the women, it's the man's fault that they're having these thoughts. Well, you know what it is. It's true. It's the man's fault. But especially when you come to church, why do we want to have that be a problem? Okay, and yes, this is the liberty. You know, wear what you want in one sense, but if it's going to cause somebody to stumble or fall into sin, rethink it. Okay, Same thing for Christians. We can go out and drink all we want, you know, and then there's nothing as long as you don't get drunk. But what if it makes somebody fall? They look at you and say, you've been a Christian for a long time and you can drink. Well, you know, I have a little trouble with it, but if you can drink, I can drink and they end up getting drunk. And your, your freedom and liberty led that to them. And I'm not saying don't do it just because of that. You know, they're still responsible for their, their, their actions, but be very careful. Liberty doesn't mean that I just do everything so that people get hurt. I, as a pastor, don't want to be drinking and be seen drinking because then people go, oh, the pastor does it. I've had no desire to drink anyway, but I wouldn't want to as a pastor, okay, just because people go, Oh, the pastor can do it. No problem. We need to think about this. Not that because over and over Paul will say, you know, in Galatians five, 13 through 16, 1 Corinthians 8:9 nine through 13, first Peter 2:15 through 19. He talks about liberty and not using your liberty as a stumbling block for somebody. So we want to be careful how we live our life. That doesn't put us under the law and legalism, oh, I can't do this because somebody might fall. Just be aware of what you're showing to people, especially kids. Now, I worked with kids for many, many years, good Christian kids in most cases, and I would hear horror stories about what their parents were like away from church. Really bad when they talk about their pastor, <laughs> father or mother and how they lived. You know, you'd have to say, no, I don't need to hear this, or you need to pray for your parents. But you know, the church has a really hard time keeping our kids in church. A lot of it has to do with the hypocrisy they see in their parents and, and grandparents, because they go, well, they say one thing, they go to church and they make everybody think that they're really good, but that's not how they live. And we know we can't be perfect. But you know you know who you look at and you say, well, that person, yeah, that person's really godly. They fall once in a while, I fall once in a while. That person, <laughs> don't know about them. This is what Paul's de- developing. Be adorned modestly. And it goes for men as well. You know, how do, how do we dress ourselves when we come to church? Uh, somebody coming in a muscle shirt with, with shorts on is probably not the best attire to come to church in. All right. Now, would I want them here someplace else? Yes, I want them here where they can hear the word of God, but modest apparel. And he says, with shamefacedness and sobriety. Shamefacedness means to be repulsed against evil. And sobriety means to embrace the evil. So he's actually playing both sides of those words. They both mean pretty much the same thing. But he's saying, I want you to be repulsed by the evil and to embrace the good. How many of you, when you see something evil, are repulsed by it? Unfortunately, in our day and age, we've seen so much evil that we're not as repulsed by it as we probably should be. Several years ago, the the pastor I was listening to had gone, uh, or uh, was sitting under, had gone to the school and he'd seen these homosexual couples hugging and kissing, and it just repulsed him. And he talked about how repulsed he was when he came to the church. Now, unfortunately for my side, I've seen so much of it that I know it's wrong, and I do get sick on it, but it didn't repulse me the way it did him. It's like, okay, it happens. This is what's going on in our world, and that made me sad on one side. How accepting of evil had I gotten that I didn't have this shamefacedness about it? Why can we get this way? Because we're flooded by the pictures of evil in front of us. It's been said that if you watch TV all week long, you're gonna watch what, something like 100 murders in a week. You know, some shows you'll see four or five a night in one, one hour. You know, and then we wonder why people act out the way they do or don't get affected when we have a mass, mass killing. We are filling ourselves and our minds with all this stuff. We are not repulsed by evil the way we used to be. I think if some of the people from the 18th century came into our, our day, They'd probably have a heart attack just seeing what goes on in the Christian church. Not even getting out in the, in the public, but just seeing the, what goes on in the church, what goes on as worship, what goes on as God's messages, and, and the way people are paying attention. They would be repulsed. You know, and this is what Paul's saying. With shamefacedness, you know, don't want to have anything to do with evil. You know, we, we need that. We need this thing. Then he also goes on to not with broidered hair, gold or pearls or costly array. In other words, putting on shows. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he was saying no jewelry allowed, no no hairstyles allowed. But you know, we know what it is to get dressed to the nines. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna be the center of attention because I'm going to this party and I'm gonna be everybody's gonna be looking at me my hair is going to be perfect. I everything is going to be I'm going to be dressed just right. I'm going to I'm going to have my my rings, my cufflinks, my my jewelry and everybody's going to notice me when I get there. This is what he's talking about. Okay? He's not saying come to church with the worst clothes you can find. <laughs> no no makeup, no direction, at all but he's saying what are you what is your purpose behind it? This costly attire that he's saying is Literally in the Greek, a showy, prideful. I am. I am uh, going to walk in, and you're going to notice. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, and part of that coming in to notice will oftentimes be coming in late. <laughs> you know. You know. Everybody's going to see me. I'm all dressed up. I'm going to be the one that's going to be noticed. We got to be careful about this. Why do we come for worship? Hopefully to worship God. Okay. And I hope here that we're coming to worship God, to be taught. And you know, I don't think this is a problem in our church, but it is the next thing to teach in the, in the book of Timothy, so we're gonna teach it. But you know, why do we come? For some people, it's, you come to church just so you can network with everybody and have a bunch of friends, Christian friends. Now, a lot of churches in the South are that way. Everybody goes to church whether they're a Christian or not they go to church and business deals are cut and agreements to meet with the other people are are all there and if nothing else it's a chance to meet the owner of the companies and and be on a friendly term so that when you do show up you've got, got, got a place of commitment and you know I have a problem with that you know why do we come are we coming to worship God are we coming ready to worship God this is so important because Satan works hard to keep us from having the right attitude when we get to work, get to church. You now, I don't need anybody to raise your hands, but how many of you, especially husbands and wives, have had major fights with your husband or wife or the kids just before church? And then you get to church and you put a smile on your face and everything is okay, and you know I'm still mad at everybody in the family, and I'm here to worship God. <laughs> and most of the time, when that happens, you don't get much out of it. Unless somehow you can calm yourself down enough to worship God. Satan is good about doing this. When you have a little baby, it's really good that the baby will throw up all over you just as you're headed out the door or mess their diaper. Really good. Just as you're headed out the church, and you were already late for church. Now, what will keep you from coming to church? Especially for us as we get to older, older places and we have lots of aches and pains. Have you ever woke up and have to decide, am I going to go to church? God may, every bone in my body aches, am I going to get up and go to church? You know, I can tell you one thing, whatever will keep you away from church, Satan will make sure will happen to you every week. You have an argument with your husband or wife, and you say, "Well, I'm not going to church. I'm not. Guess what will happen? Every week, you'll have an argument with your husband or wife. Uh, the phone call from the grandkids or the niece or nephew, right as you're walking out the door for church, that keeps you away from church. Will happen all the time if it keeps going. You know, very important. Now I'm not saying come to church sick. <laughs> if you are really sick and you are not having a problem, don't come to come to church and make everybody else sick. But you know how many times have you decided not to go to church and all of a sudden about twenty minutes later it's a little too late to go to church and all of a sudden all those aches and pains are gone and and you're up and about and you're ready to cook dinner and clean the house and Uh, And you're going, wow, I should have gone to church (laughs) and probably should have. But, you know, why do we go to church? And I've said this so many times. We do not come to church because it makes us more spiritual. We do not come to church to get brownie points with God. We come to church to have fellowship one with another. And, you know, the ones we probably have to have fellowship the most with are the ones that irritate you. (laughs) You know, and I've said this many times, but why are they the ones? Because God's trying to teach us something. It's real easy to get together and say, well, I like all these people. There's nobody here that bothers me. I like them. You know, that's, you know, look at the disciples that Jesus put together. You had Matthew, who the Jews considered a collaborator with the Romans and, a, and a, not a very good person. You know, Simon the Zealot. <laughs> He's the exact opposite. He's, he's ready to do anything he can to terrorize Rome. He puts them together. He puts people together that are hardworking laborers and those who are more on the management side of things. You know, they're, they're, you know, and he puts people together that are opposites and says, you guys are going to learn from each other. You're going to learn to love one another. It is very easy to love people that love you, isn't it? You know, if people like you and genuinely love you and and are nice to you, you don't have any trouble being nice to them and loving them, even if they're in a bad mood that particular day. Oh, they're just in a bad mood. I can give them forgiveness. Who's the hard ones to love? That person that you see and you're going, I can't stand this person. You know, every time in every family, there's those people that we can't handle, and that's what God says, I want you to love them. Jesus told his disciples, you're to love those who hate you. You're to love, the, do good to those who dis, despitefully use you. Oh, isn't it a hard thing to love those type of people? And yet that is letting God come out of us. He goes on to, go, to say, "We adorn," in verse 10, but that which become, uh, becometh woman professing godliness with good works. Does your life show good works? One of the things that I learned many years ago is sometimes outward beauty doesn't mean a thing, okay? Some of the worst irritating people that you can come across are very beautiful, well-adorned, present themselves, but you get to know them and it's like, whoa, what an ugly person in reality. Paul's saying that inner beauty is what's really important. And it's a challenge for the men. Look for that inner beauty as well. are you wanting, as, as Solomon said, it's better to be in an attic with a morsel of bread than a, than a woman of, of, that is on you all the time. It's like dripping water. Okay, you know, we want to be very careful. What are we looking for? And he says, we want to be, I want to say, men, we need to be the same way. Inner beauty that loves other people coming across. Then he goes on and he says, and this is where it starts getting interesting. Let the women learn in silence with subjection, but I suffer a woman not to teach, nor usurp authority over men, but to be in silence. Part of this I want to share with you, they did not do the church the way we do church, (laughs) okay? They did church the way the Jewish people did church. I went to an Orthodox synagogue one time. The men sat in the rows in front of the the, the, uh, rabbi, over on the side with a great big latticework, the women sat. You couldn't even see the women. They couldn't see in either. Now imagine Paul is talking and go, women learn in silence. And he's only further going to say, from your husband. Women sitting over here behind the lattice work. husband's over here, doesn't understand what's saying, hey, uh, hey honey, uh, what did you just say? Can you imagine the chaos that would be going on in church when, if that was going on? And let's say it's not just one woman. <laughs> it's a whole bunch. Did he say what I think he said? You know, you know. We need to be careful when we're even in our day when we're in church. How much talking goes on in a church? And a small church, not our small church not as much as some churches. But I've been to some bigger churches, three, four hundred people, and there's this group over here talking, this group over here talking, bearing the message from the pastor? And it's like, okay, why did you come? You came just to talk or did you come to actually have a message taught to you? And this is something that we want to look at because it says that he, they are to learn in subjection. And we hate this word subjection. Women especially because it's been ba- beat over their heads. But you know, we've shared this before many times. Every time we hit the subjection word, this word for subjection is used all over the scriptures. Jesus was subject to the Father to come down to this world to be made human and die for us. He was in Jesus was in subjection to Mary and Joseph while he was a child. The church is to be in subjection to the pastor. The pastor is to be in subjection to Christ. Subjection is not just a word used for women. Don't ever take this wrong. It means to be under authority and follow the right authority. People who've been in the military understand this idea very well. My dad used to say that as a, a statement, you may not like the man, but you must respect the uniform. In other words, if he has a higher rank or rating on his, on his uniform, whether you like him or not, <laughs> Is a position in authority was to be liked. Now, hopefully, as a Christian, we don't have the problem with not liking our authority. Okay? I hope nobody has a problem being subjection to Jesus and we go, well, yeah, he's perfect, he's easy. You know, a husband should not be a problem if you really have a loving relationship. Especially if the husband does what he's supposed to do, which is to love you as Christ loved the church. Now I know that there are husbands out there who try to beat their wives into submission and that's not what God said to do. But you know he said in subjection and not to usurp authority. Do you realize that the first person to try to usurp authority was Satan? In heaven he was the cherub, the chief cherub, okay? the head angel and he wasn't happy with his position and decided I want to be like God. And said, I'm not happy where I'm at. I'm going to take a step up. I am going to be like God. I'm going to sit next to God. What was his temptation to Eve? You should eat this fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because you will be like God. God is trying to keep you from something. He is so special. You want to be like him. So to eat of this fruit. Almost all of our problems with sin come from not being willing to be in subjection to God, to His Word, to His teaching. And Paul's teaching, be in subjection. Now, men, I'm going to let you have to look at on this one because this says something very important to us as well. If the wife is supposed to be learning in silence at home, who should be teaching? The man in the house should be teaching. Okay, too many times that doesn't happen too many times it doesn't happen in the in the home you know men go well well, I'm just so busy I'm earning the living I don't have time to be the one teaching my kids and my wife God says you're supposed to we have a responsibility as men and this verse very clearly submits to the fact that we have a position to teach to be able to help them learn when we stand before God at the Bema seat of Christ Jesus is gonna ask you, what did you teach your family? Why did you teach your family this way? And the answer will not be, well, you know, God, I just let my wife take care of it. He's going, okay, but that wasn't her job. One of the things I learned as a manager many years was, I was always in charge of my store. Whether I was there or not, I was in charge of my store. In the military, officers are always responsible for their, their command. A captain of a ship is responsible for everything that goes on in that ship, whether he's there or not, he's, in, he's responsible because he picks the people, he trains the people, he puts them into positions. And I'm sure it's true of the other bases and stuff that commanders do and, and, and all. But God is saying, learn under authority and we as men need to be able to take and say, I'm going to teach. Again, does that mean we browbeat every, our family to death with the Bible? No. But, you know, we take those opportunities to teach. The greatest opportunities we can have to teach are those in situations. And I've shared with you the time that I was driving with a van load of teenagers and I got pulled over. Didn't see the speed limit changed and I got pulled over. And and the kids were commenting, you go, well, you're taking it so much better than my parents, you know, know, they would be cussing and swearing about being pulled over. I go, well, I didn't didn't see the sign change, but I got pulled over. What did I teach them in just a very simple truth? Honor authority. Was I happy about being pulled over? No, it was kind of embarrassing to be pulled over with a van full of teenagers when you're the Christian with a big logo for the church on the side of the van. (laughs) Okay, very embarrassing situation, but by the same token, I was able to show them this is how a Christian reacts to authority. And it opened up many more avenues all weekend long to be able to share Christian truth just gently, not through preaching, not through being, well, you guys gotta follow this, but able to just say, look, this is how we live Christianity. Do you realize that your kids are watching the way you live for Christ? If you don't have any kids, your grandkids are watching how you live for Christ, especially if they're not being raised as Christians and they're looking and you, and they know grandma and grandpa goes to church, they're gonna go, what's different? What does God do in their life? What Why? Why should I go to church? If I wanted to go to church and follow God, why should I? They're looking for that reason. And our life should be able to give them reason. Am I judgmental of everybody and everything? My kids are going to go, well, don't want anything to do with that. Am I going, this is what God says, but we've got to give them grace. And they go, oh, grace. Learn about grace. Do you realize that God's grace is so special for everybody? Grace does not excuse sin. But it does say they stand or fall before God. I can allow you to do what you want before God because you're going to stand or fall before God. That doesn't mean I'm not going to tell you the truth. That doesn't mean I'm not going to share God's truth. But if you don't want to follow it, all I do is teach it. God's word repeats itself over and over, a hundred times it seems like. Each book says the same thing in a different way. God understands how dense we are as people. He understands that we don't usually get things the first time it's told to us. And if you've ever trained anybody, it's very obvious that they don't usually get it the first, second, third, fourth, fifth time they do it, we're told. Very rarely will somebody, if they're really wanting to learn something, get it the first time or second time. Many people need to hear it a 100 times, it seems like. None of us are any different. All of us have places where we are very dense. And, you know, he says he doesn't want them to usurp authority because then he goes back to the very beginning. Adam was not deceived. Eve was deceived. You know, we read that story. Eve was supposedly deceived and tricked into doing this. She did not know what she was doing by the way the story goes. She did not understand that. the the ramifications of eating that fruit, even though, because if you read her words, she goes, we shall not eat of the tree or touch it. And then instead of saying, or we will die, she says, lest we die. In other words, she had a doubt. She was already doubting God's word that they were going to die by eating this fruit. You know, and then she took the fruit. Adam came along. His wife is no longer in perfect relationship with him. And, you know, I've always wondered why he did it, but he ate the fruit because he didn't want to be separated from from Eve. He did it willingly. And I wish that he hadn't. I don't know what God would have done otherwise, but, you know, he chose to commit the sin. Eve was deceived. And I don't know what all of this was, but it says that. She was deceived into transgression, notwithstanding she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in the faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Many of the doctor uh, commentaries say that this childbearing refers to Jesus. I'm not absolutely sure on whether that is or true or not. But you know, Eve was created to be the perfect match for Adam. The perfect match in every in every way. There was not a design originally for him to even rule over her and to to control her. John, do we need to turn that off with that noise? I don't know, okay. Uh, I don't know that they were created to have this relationship on, of that nature, but when the sin came, God's part of the punishment and the, and the consequences of that sin was that she would desire to rule over her husband and that her husband would have rule over her. And the battle of the sexes started, <laughs> From the fall. It's not brand new. It's been going on forever. It r- rages up and back and forth over the years. But part of the curse was Eve, you wanted dominion. Now your consequence is that you're not going to have dominion, and that flows for all future. God put an order of authority in there. And as much as we might want to rebel against it, it's there. And it is really just a matter of stepping forward and living under God's authority. And this is what it's all about. Are we gonna live under authority? Okay, not just women to their husbands, women to the church, but under authority all the way around. The most important one would be the authority of the word of God. Are we willing to live under the authority of the word of God, whatever it says, whether we like it or not, love those that you don't like. (laughs) Do good to them. Because what's the human nature say? You were bad to me. I am going to get you. I'm going to get you. Just wait. Bible says love them. You know, it says in, in Proverbs that it, it heaps coals of fire upon them. Because you know, they're sitting there wondering when are you going to get back at them. <laughs> That's the way of the world. I, I did them wrong. They've, they've got to want to get back at me. And they're waiting for you to get back at them. <laughs> And it never comes and it really bothers them. I've I've listened to people at times. I just, I'm just, I'm pins and needles. I don't know when they're gonna get back at me. Well, I think they're being godly to you. They're not looking to get back at you. They're showing you God's love. When you show love to people, they are looking at, well, what's gonna be the consequence to this? When is there going to be a consequence? When, they, they were giving me all this stuff. When are they going to ask me for something in return? there's a lot of churches that do that. We help you, we help you, we help you, now we want you to give back. Well, of course, we'd like to see everybody give back, but you know, that's not our expectation when we help. When we give somebody food or, or help, we're not looking for you to give it back. If you do, praise God, you're giving it back if you don't. We didn't expect it anyway, so it's not a loss. We don't talk about the offering here much. You know, it's in the box. If you give, you give. If you don't, you don't. And you know what? Our offering keeps going up. God blesses, living under authority and trying to follow God in all that we do. So the challenge we have for today for all of us, listen to God. What is God asking you to do in your life? And I'm going to tell every one of us, God has something he's asking you to do. What it is, I don't know. Definitely not the same thing he's asking me to do. Not the same thing he's asking anybody else to do. He asks us to do what he asks us to do and what's best for us. And why is it best for us? Because he knows the future. He knows what we're going to be facing. He knows the trials we're going to face. He understands what's going on. So we want to look at this. Let's go ahead and bow in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love us. Lord, we ask that you work on our hearts to make us more humble to you, more obedient to you, and in so doing, show you forward to all people. And we ask you to just be with us, guide and lead us in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.